Hello and welcome. This is Brian Foster. Welcome to my live stream on my YouTube channel. Today is January 19th, 2021, and we are talking about the book Wander in the Spirit Land. It is a book that was um, sent to a medium by the spirit Francesco, and, the, and it was the, uh, the medium was uh, a Ferrante. And Francesco was a very intellectual person, a very type of a cosmopolitan at the time, raised as a Roman Catholic, didn't believe in it. He saw too much hypocrisy, thought he was above all the, all the you know, information and it, it, about the spirit world. Because, you know, what he saw in the Catholic Church made him think that a lot of this was not true or corrupt. And there's a lot of hypocrisy there, which is still is today. Um, all around the world, but that's why, you know, we should not blame religion. It's the people in religion, just like, you know, these things happen. Um, so none of us are perfect. So before I begin, please hit the subscribe, hit the bell, hit the like button. That will help the algorithm so we can bring more of these and have more people watch and understand spiritism. Why should we understand spiritism? Because it gives us an understanding of why we are on earth, why things happen to us the way they do, why we should keep striving and studying and learning and, and believing in God and Jesus because really what's happening to us, no matter how hard it is to figure out at the time through these trials and tribulations we have, it's all for our best because we are being given, we're on this earth, we're being given stimuli for us to live and grow and learn so we can take out our primitive emotions and replace those with advanced emotions, love, charity, fraternity, honesty, selflessness. Okay, let's start in chapter four, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter six, in the, uh, let me put this up here so we can all see it. Oh, we don't wanna do this. There, it's bigger. Chapter six which is the Twilight Lands. So now I will start reading from the book. Of course, it's on PDF. It's in the public domain. That's why I can show it to you. Uh, when I read books from like uh, uh, other books, I kind of go through paragraphs and, and chapters. If they are copyrighted, then I, I do not show them on the screen or I'll just maybe show quotes or so. But this one is in the public domain and I actually have a link to it in the description below. Okay, I'll carry on. This is uh, him writing. When my period of work in any place was finished, I used to return to the Twilight Land to rest in another large building which belonged to our brotherhood. So, I mean, so Francesco had, had wandered about by himself. He was finally taken, which he said, by the brotherhood. And he learned that he healed himself. He, you know, he got over his, his depression. And, you know, of course, his, his wonderful uh, love of his life helped him. She was still incarnated. He died very soon after he met her. He just, it was the first woman he really loved selflessly. And she is you know, still believing in him and she tries to communicate with him. And that's kind of his, his carrot, right? Is that she wants him to become a better person. And you know, she even she feels doubt sometimes that is she talking to herself? Does she believe all this about spirits? But the other spirits around her help her, help her communicate and help him communicate with her. 
I carry on. It was someone like the other plays in appearance, not only quite so dark nor so dismal, nor, nor so bare, and in the little room which belonged to each, there were such things as we had earned as the rewards of our labors. For instance, in my room, which was still somewhat bare looking, I had one great treasure. This was a picture of my love. It seemed more like a reflection of her in a mirror than a mere painted spirit, a painted image. For when I looked intently at her, she would smile back at me and answer as though her spirit was conscious of my gaze. And when I wished very much to know what she was doing, my picture would change and show me. This was regarded by all my companions as a great and wonderful privilege. And I was told it was as much the result of her love and constant thought for me as of my own efforts to improve. Since then, I've been shown how this living image was thrown upon the light of the astral plane and then projected into its frame in my room. But I cannot explain it more fully in this book. Another gift from my darling was a white rose bud, which I had in a small vase and which never seemed to fade or wither, but remained fresh and fragrant and an ever emblem of her love, so that I called her my white rose. So let's talk about what he said. Now, think about, there's a picture, right? Now, now we're used, this is in, this is in the late 1800s. Now, right now, if we saw a picture frame and the picture frame moved, we say, oh, that's the internet, it's connected, right? Imagine what people would think reading this, like, how can a picture frame, and he says, I can't explain it. How can a picture frame do that? So this, this shows you, again, why spiritism and spiritist mediums and the spirits they keep telling us more and more as we can understand it because this was like a picture would change and show me this is this would be this would be magic that now we understand oh it's probably connected to the it's connected to the internet it's being downloaded so this tells you so much about the spirit world realm it's data all the time everything's connected somehow that picture was connected to her current her current presence. So at the default was the picture of her, right? That they, they they collected. But then if he thought hard enough or she thought hard enough, most probably, then it would open a portal through communicating to the universal cloud or the universal database, whatever, and it would know what she was doing because everything, our thoughts, nothing is hidden, is all recorded. So they could just tap into that and record what she was doing at that particular time. And it's still true today, of course, right? Because we're immortal. I mean, this shows you how sophisticated they are. So think about that. Now think about the rose. It, it never, it never fit, you know, it, it never decays. Again, a truism about the spirit world. Since the rose was created by thought. Now, usually in the spirit world, if you cut a flower and you put it in a vase, it looks good until either you stop thinking about it or a certain duration, and then it fades away and doesn't decay. This is, and again, this is what happened with his rose. He thought about it all the time. She probably thought all, about it all the time, and therefore it kept alive because of their thoughts. At some future date, let's say they forget about the white rose and it's not important to them, then it would fit, fade away. That is the power of thought in the spirit realm. Now, let me carry on another example. So there was this, uh, this colony that 
they created a new, uh, like a, a, a new building for the leader of the colony. And they wanted it more than just his house. They wanted it full of meeting rooms and offices and things to help people. You know, it's going to, the colony was going to get bigger. And so what happens is spirits came together and they made like a, a mold, right? A model, I should say, of the whole uh, complex. So it was multiple rooms, you know, it was his house, but it also had multiple rooms, meeting rooms, etc. And so a group of spirits got together, they made this, this model that this would help focus all of their thoughts. And, and using their thoughts, they created this whole edifice. But what they did is then they took the model, they kind of decolorized it, made it kind of a white alabaster. But, and they put it kind of in, in a garden next to it. And they made it connected to this building. So a spirit could go up to this model and say, oh, I need to see so-and-so. Uh, are they there? And what room are they in? And then the model would, would, would display to them where that person was. If there was a meeting, right, um, what floor, kind of give a map. It would know everything about, it was completely connected to that building. Now, this was exposed in the early 1900s, right? Now we think, okay, we have to have an internet, right? We'd have to, and this would be even complex for our day because you have to know every meeting time, someone would have to type that in and then you have to have sensors and face recognition to know who was in what office or what building or, or wherever they were. And, you know, you have to know everything. It would be thousands of sensors, of course, you know, and, and I built things with lots of sensors. So that's more room for errors, right? Every time you have a sensor, it's another failure point. But it could be done, but it would be, you know, would it be worth it right now at this, at, you know, at, at our current level of technology just to make, you know, this, this easy? Probably not. But in the spirit world, it shows you how they can connect things through, you know, little data tunnels, you know, applications, and they'll just call a module or, you know, subroutine or however you want to call it, and they, they can connect it to things. So it's, this shows you that everything is connected. And this, this is another you know, just another wonderment. You have to think how complex this is. And that's why when you think about we're on this earth and we're immortal and that we are in these physical bodies that we think are real, we feel they're real. You know, we hit a wall, it feels like a wall. This tells you how, how we are in this application, right? In this role plane that we are in, that we think we are. Now, why are we in this role plane? To improve ourselves. Let me carry on. I had so long for a flower. I had so loved flowers on earth, and I had seen none since I saw those my darling put upon my grave. In this land, there were no flowers, not even a leaf or blade of grass. Of course, he's in the lower zone. He's not in, the, he's not in any levels of heaven yet. Not a tree or shrub, however, stunted for the dry and arid soil of our selfishness had no blossom or green thing to give to any one of us. And when I was told... And when I told her this during one of the revisits, I used to pay her. And when through her own hand, I was able to write short messages. It was, I say, when I told her that there was not one fair thing for me to look upon, save only the picture of herself, that she asked that I would be given a flower from her. And this white rosebud was brought to my room by a spirit friend and left for me to find when I returned from earth and her, ah, uh, you who have seen so many flowers, you do not value them enough and leave them to wither unseen. 
You can scarce realize what joy this blossom brought to me, nor how I have so treasured it in her picture and some loving words she once wrote, she once wrote to me that I have carried them with me from sphere to sphere as I have risen, and shall, I hope, treasure them evermore. From this twilight land I took many journeys and saw many strange and different countries, but all bore the same stamp of coldness and desolation. So, the lower zone is huge. Now remember, we have the earth. We have the crust of the earth. Below the crust of the earth is the dark abyss, kind of a purgatory, where people are really ignorant, and, and criminal go. Then we have the lower zone, it starts at the crust of the earth, goes up to the level of heaven. And of course this is around the earth. And, and even the, the lower zone has many levels. So it's huge and it's got different countries, it has different cities, it's, it's organized somewhat. It's not, it's not a national government, there's lots of little like uh, cities and, and territories run by pretty mean warlords. Not nice people, but that's the lower zone. Let me carry on and describe it. One place was a great valley of gray stones with dim, cold, gray hills shutting it on every side, and this twilight sky overhead. Here again, not a blade of grass, nor one poor stunted shrub was to be seen, not one touch of color or brightness anywhere, only this dull desolation of gray stones. Those who dwelt in this valley had centered their lives and their affections in themselves and had shut up their hearts against all warmth and beauty of unselfish love. Okay, this is, let me carry on at, at, at the end of this paragraph. They had lived only for themselves, their own gratification, their own ambitions, and now they saw nothing but themselves and the gray desolation of their hard, selfish, selfish lives around them. There were a great many beings fitting, flitting uneasily about in the valley, but strange to say they had been so centered in themselves that they had lost the power to see anyone else. So this is interesting. So not only there's there, so again, the law of affinity is working. They're putting like with like. And so they put all these people who were completely self-centered, right? Completely completely inward looking, inward looking and only you know caring about themselves. They could see no one else. So their their life on earth was then they made an extension of it in the in the spirit world. So they, they're walking around, they see no one else. They think they're in this this completely desolate landscape with dull light, and yet just all people around them. But wasn't how wasn't that how they were on earth? They saw only objects. They didn't see people. They didn't see they didn't see sad stories. They didn't see happy stories. They didn't see places where they think they could help. They saw only what they wanted to improve in their own lives, and they didn't care who they used or abused to, to make themselves successful. Now, we've all done that to some extent. I have done that to some extent. And hopefully I have changed, and hopefully all of us can change. And this is kind of the rule of this of our culture at this point. You know, if you're in, into this company, now I, I've been in a company where I was a manager and they said, okay, we're going to do this thing where every year the bottom 10%, we have to fire them and, you know, or put them on a probation or whatever, you know, whatever your company uses, which I thought was horrible. And, oh, I hated it. And I finally, I finally just got out of management because this was such, I mean, look, if you have 10 people and then you're your bottom person, there's, there's always jobs that maybe that person isn't your top, 
but that person is doing something no one else wants to do. They're being useful. They're trying their hardest and they have a good attitude. Why would you try to fire them? Who's going to else? I mean, this whole logic was just so cruel. And of course, in our culture, if one group or, you know, these, you know, these idiot consultants from one of the, you know, the big three or four that always gets lower because they go broke, you know, says, oh, that was the way is to fire 10% of your people. And that will motivate the rest to do better. And, and, and then, of course, everyone's just like, like, like fish in a bait ball. They all go, oh, we need to do this, right? Because this is the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And this will make me look good. And I can get promoted and get more stock options and pay. This is how our culture works. It's, I mean, this is kind of maybe harsh for me to say this, but I've been in it. And, and there are people that really care about people. And I've worked for companies like that. That was wonderful. But this is kind of more the, the majority. This is something we have to learn to swim in this moral gray area. We, you know, we're, they, we have to work. We have to feed our family. But we try to do as least harm as possible and the most good as possible. But that's why I got out. I just became an individual contributor. Of course, I'm sure many people just think I'm a complete failure, but that's fine. So I'll carry on. These unhappy beings were invisible to each other and said, until such a time as the thought of another and the desire to do something for someone besides themselves should awaken when they would become conscious of those near to them and through their efforts to lighten another's lot, they would improve their own. So alas, their stunted affections would expand and the hazy valley of selfishness would hold them in its chains no more. So again, look, this, and this, this is, is pertinent to all our trials on earth. There is no horribleness forever. There's no trial that has no end. Now, granted, that end may be you leave this physical life. That's still an end because you're immortal. You know, well, you know, if you have cancer and you die, that's a trial, you, you know, you're dead. Well, but you have to look at it as an immortal spirit. That was your trial. You probably learned very valuable things and then you went on. But let me put another example. In, for uh, people who commit suicide, and there was this hospital in the lower zone for people who committed suicide, and they had to analyze their life. Why did you do that? And they were told, look, no matter what terrible thing happened to you, if you had waited a week, a month, six months, it would have resolved something. The spirit world does not make trials in which there is no way out and there's no path to victory. That is what we all must, must recognize here. There's always a path to victory. It may not be what you think is victory. Granted, right? Because... We're like four-year-olds that we think of ourselves and we think of our own pleasure, right? I, I know I do, but it's, there is, if you, once you step out and you go atop that 10,000 foot level and you look at your own life and you go, oh, I learned a lot of things from that. I carry on. Beyond the valley, I came upon a great dry, sandy looking track of country where there was a scanty, <coughs> straggling vegetation and where the inhabitants had begun in some places to make small attempts at gardens near their habitations. In some places, these habitations were clustered so thickly together that they formed small towns and cities. 
but all bore that de desolate, ugly look which came from the spiritual poverty of the inhabitants. This was also a land of selfishness and greed, although not of such complete indifference to others' feelings as in the Gray Valley, and therefore they sought for a certain amount of companionship, even with those around them. Many had come from the Gray Valley, but most were direct from the earth life and were now, poor souls, struggling to rise a little higher. And wherever this was the case, an effort was made to overcome their own selfishness, then the dry soil around their homes would begin to put forth tiny blades of grass and little stunted shoots of shrubs. So you see, they're always watched. Just like we are here on earth, we're always watched and we're always evaluated. And little things will be either given to us, our paths would open up. I talk about this in my book, The Seven Tenets of Spiritism. We are always given signs and signals. It could be dreams. It could be a call from Uncle Joe. It could be a, a book we read. It could be an internet site all of a sudden we wandered onto uh, that would point us in the right direction. Let me give you a really small example. Our, our dog, uh, Nevi, we, uh, we came home and like the back kitchen door, right, was open. And we said, where's Nevi? Now, usually we don't worry about her because she would get out, she'd wander around and come home when she wanted to. In fact, it's funny because people would say, oh, your dog's on. Oh, I said, and, I, and I think to myself, why are you even calling me? She'll come home on her own. But this time she, was, she didn't come home. And my wife and I were, we were kind of running out of look. And then the kids came home from school and she still wasn't home. And of course, there was great tragedy at, at the household. And then... And so then we kept driving around, we couldn't find her. Then out of the blue, my son's friend called and said, you know, do you have a dog that's missing? And they go, yeah. Because well, my mom found it on this website for a, a vet. And they someone turned this dog to them. They have it at their veterinarian office. And, and so then we drove the veterinarian office. Of course, it was closed. It was too late. But then... We, we called out Navi and we could, of course, hear her bark, you know, her bark. So the next day we went and said, that's our dog. Of course, she came up to us. So, so then I asked, so I went to the, uh, the, you know, my son's friend's mother. I said, how, how did you know that was Navi? She goes, well, you know, I never go to the site, but something, all of a sudden I went to this site of, to this veterinarian site and I looked at lost animals and then I, Something came in my mind and I said, isn't that Nevi? And of course, then my son called your son. So now this is so small and so trivial, yet these small things, these trivial things, to me, sometimes they make the most impact of this is how the spirit world works. That somehow they said, okay, yeah, we'll tell them that they're, you know, we'll tell them where their dog is. We'll make everyone feel better, including Nevi. So don't, don't just think these things are random events. Yes, there are random events, but these synchronicities, right? These little things. Think about these things that when these good things happen, these these aren't these aren't just random luck. These these are gifts, probably for for being or for trying to be better or doing good. These are gifts from the spirit world. Okay, so I'll carry on. Such miserable hovels as were in this land. Such ragged, repulsive, wretched-looking people like tramps or beggars. Yet many had been amongst Earth's wealthiest and most intimate and fashionable life. Very, very true. 
and enjoyed all that luxury could give because they had used their wealth only for themselves and their own enjoyments, giving to others but the paltry crumbs that they could spare from their own wealth and hardly noticed that they had given them. Because of this, I say, they were now here in this twilight land, poor as beggars in the true spiritual wealth of the soul, which may be earned in the earthly life, alike by the richest king or the poorest beggar, and without which those who could come over to the spirit land, be they of the earth greatest or humblest, must come here to dwell, where all are alike poor in spiritual things. And again, this is this is a just amazing lesson. This it, our, we're on earth not to accumulate as many toys as possible. We're on earth is to improve ourselves, our character, our personality, to rip out the primitive emotions and to improve ourselves and be nicer persons, to, you know, to, to be more civilized. It doesn't mean we have to give everything away, wear a hair shirt, no, or go live in a cave. Now, if you make your wealth honestly, and you know, if you want three cars or five car garage or those extra vacation homes, that's fine. But treat everyone with respect and you know, play fair. That's the main thing. That's what, of course, that's why Jesus Christ said it's harder for the you know, the rich man to get to heaven than you know, than putting a, a camel through the eye of a needle. Because, and of course, in the spirit book, they tell us, they ask, What's the hardest trial? And what they say, the hardest trial is being rich. Of course, I know people will say, well, I like that trial, but it's hard because when you're rich, everyone sucks up to you, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yep, yep. Oh, that's brilliant, right? I've seen that. I've been in companies. I, you know, I know how you know, people treat these people with deference. And of course, when you're rich, you think this is how our culture is. You think you're smarter than everyone else because you have more money. So it must mean you're smarter and you're better than anybody else. It doesn't. But that's fine if that's what they want to believe. That's why it's hard. It's extremely difficult when you're rich. It's hard when you're poor. It's hard many things. But it's hard being humble and nice when you're rich. That's why you really have to be strong and using your conscience and, and keeping uh, true to your nicer part of your personality. <clears throat> I'll carry on. Here, some of the people would wrangle and quarrel and complain that they had not been fairly treated in being such a place. Seeing what had been their positions in earth life, they would blame others as being more culpable than themselves in the matter and wake a, th a thousand excuses, a thousand pretenses to anyone who would listen to them and the story of what they would call the wrongs. Others would still be trying to follow out the schemes of their earthly lives and would try to make their hearers believe that they had found means at the expense of someone else of ending all this weary life of discomfort. And they would plot and plan and try to carry out their own schemes and spoil those of others as being likely to interfere with theirs, and so on would go the weary round of life in this land of unrest, just like on earth, right? To all whom I found willing to listen to me, I gave some word of hope, some thought of encouragement, to help or to find the true way out of this country, and so passed on through it and journeyed into the land of misers, a land given over to them alone, for few have sympathy with true misers, save those who also share their all-absorbing desire to hoard simply for the pleasure of hoarding. In this country were dark, crooked-looking beings with long, claw-like fingers who were scratching in the black soil like birds of prey in search of stray grains of gold that here and there rewarded their toil. And when they had found any, they would wrap themselves in their little 
wrapped them up in their little wallets they carried and thrust them into their bosom that they may lie next to their heart as a thing of all things most dear to them. As a rule, they were lonely, solitary beings who avoided each other by instinct, lest they should be robbed of their cherished treasure. Now, this is very interesting. The way he described it, extremely interesting. Why is this interesting? In one of the books, and I forgot exactly the book name by Andre Luis, Andre Luis encounters his grandfather. And he the way he described him is very similar to the way it was described by Francesco. He was going around searching, and of course, all they were searching for was like this mud, but he thought he saw gold. He, oh, it's gold, it's mine. And that was his grandfather, was a miser. Now, he didn't see his grandfather. He loved his grandfather. And he's just like, you know, of course, when you're a child, you see things differently. But he saw exact the same way. They would like fly around, look in the soil for garbage, right? For what Andre Louis saw with garbage, they saw it as gold. And it, then he asked, well, look, you know, this, can I do something for my grandfather? Can I help him? And the, the, this is the other thing that's very interesting. And it's very revealing. This is why you read spiritist literature and you read a sentence and, you know, you kind of think something, but you read it again and you start analyzing it and you learn so much more about the spirit world. So he was told, yes, we can help your, we can help your grandfather. We'll put him in one of these outposts, right, in the lower zone. And then really the only thing that really helped him was we can have him incarnated again. And Andre really just kind of said, well, isn't that the long process? He goes, oh, no, no, we can do that pretty rapidly. When someone has no influence upon society and they are going to be incarnated as a very, you know, kind of labor, low level, that's not going to really impact much around them. We have great freedom to put them in many places on the earth. And he will, he will, will, he will live life as a laborer, never rich, poor, humble. And this will help uh, change his attitude to, towards money and change his character. And so, you know, and of course you read that and it's okay. But then you think this is, this is how things work. So someone like, a uh, prime minister or a president or an important educator or scientist that, that are actually going to change things. Well, they'll be helped during their birth. They will be given, you know, modifications to their DNA to help them whatever they're doing. They will be guided more by other uh, um, spirits. Their plan will be more complicated and intense because they will touch many, many lives and everything has to be solved right of how that's how that's everything's going to interact so it's you know it just shows you how the spirit world moves the earth moves the earth's culture institutions countries whatever moves it forward by placing their important pieces on the chessboard a pawn hey, you lose a pawn it, it's still important but it's not as important as a rook or a bishop right or a knight there's more thought put into that I'll carry on. Here I found nothing that I could do. Only one solitary man listened for a brief moment to what I had to say ere he returned to his hunt in the earth for treasure, furtively watching me till I was gone, lest I should learn what he had already got. The others were also absorbed in their search for treasure. They could not even be made conscious of my presence, and I soon passed on from that bleak land. So again, this is this is so typical, right? We're, and we go through 
life like this, unaware of everything around us. So we need to open up and kind of multitask our time and look at reality every so often. From the miser's country, I passed downward into a dark sphere, which was really below the earth in the sense of being even lower in, in its spiritual inhabitants than parts of the earth plain. Here it was very much like the land of unrest, only that the spirits who dwelt here were worse and more degraded looking. So he's probably in the dark abyss now, which is under the crust. There was no attempt made at cultivation, and the sky overhead was almost dark like night, the light being only such as enabled them to see each other and the objects near them. Whereas in the land of unrest, there were but wrangling and discontent and jealousy. Here there were fierce fights and bitter quarrels. Here there were gamblers, and drunkards, betting men, card sharpers, commercial swindlers, prolificates, and thieves of every kind. The law of affinity again, like it's going to be with like. From the thief of the slums to his well-educated counterparts in the higher circles of earth. All whose instincts were roguish are dissipated. All who were selfish and degraded in their taste were here, as well as many who had been in a higher condition of spiritual life, had not constant association on earth with this class of man deteriorated and degraded them to the level of their companions, so that at death they had gravitated to this dark sphere, drawn down by ties of association. It was to this last class that I was sent. For amongst them there was hope that all sense of goodness and right was not quenched, and that the voice of one crying to them in the wilderness of their despair might be heard and lead them back to a better land. So again, this is what, I mean, when when you know a person maybe uh, doesn't believe in the spirit world, doesn't believe in God, tell them, you know, hey, if something happens to you, at least keep an open mind. Look, look to the light, right? Tap into that good part of your heart. Then you may find something. The wretched houses are dwellings of this dark land of misery were many of them large, spacious places, but all stamped with the same appalling look of uncleanliness, foulness, and decay. They resembled large houses to be seen in some of our slums, once handsome mansions, and fine palaces, the abodes of luxury which have become the haunts of the lowest denizens of vice and crime. Here and there would be great lonely tracts of country with a few scattered wretched houses, mere hovels, and in other places the buildings and the people are huddled together in great gloomy, degraded-looking copies of your large cities of earth. Everywhere squalor and dirt and wretchedness reigned. Nowhere there was there one single bright or beautiful gracious thing for the eye to rest upon in all the scene of desolation, made thus by spiritual emanations from the dark beings who dwelt there. Again, he's telling us they, by their own, they do not realize this. Now, the higher spirits realize that that your environment, you're sent to a certain environment, is affected by your own thoughts. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, when we die, we create our own heaven," and there's there's truth to that. But we have to remember how this works. They're in a spot. Let's look at first level heaven first. When you die, let's go. Let's say you go to the first level of heaven. Now, you are this nice person, but then you see this reality, and you see these great cities, you see these people around you, and you have good thoughts. But you're not creating that environment per se. You're contributing to it because you're also, you're also being affected by these other thoughts and by the constructed environments by higher spirits with a greater force of will than you have at this time. Now, if you went off 
and you went to their own little plot of land somewhere in in heaven you could probably start suddenly you know su suddenly changing the environment to fit what you're thinking because you wouldn't be affected by these other thoughts coming in the same things happen to these people down here because they don't know they created their environment their their thoughts are low and, and, and base and therefore their environment is low based and their cities are you know in in, in through the throes of decay and it's not a nice place well it's not a nice place because they're not they're not wonderful people they will be wonderful people they all will be wonderful people someday that's why we should look at everyone in the world is that everyone is on a trajectory maybe a low uh, low slope maybe a level slope for quite a few lives but eventually they'll be on a trajectory will they will they will go up i'll carry on amongst these wretched inhabitants i wandered with my little star of pure light so small that it was but a bright spark flickering about in the darkness as i moved yet around me it shed a soft pale light as from a star of hope and that's shown for those not so blinded by their own selfish evil passions to behold it here and there i would come upon some crouched in a doorway or against the wall are in some miserable room who would arouse themselves sufficiently to look at me with my light and listen to the words I spoke to them, and would begin to seek for the better way, the returning path to those upper spheres from which they had fallen by their sins. Of course, the Christians like to say wrongs, not sins. Some I would be able to induce to join me in my work of helping others, but as a rule they could only think of their own miseries and long for something higher than their present surroundings. And even this, small as it seems, was one step to the next one of thinking how to help others forward as well would soon follow. One day in my wanderings through this country, I came to the outskirts of a large city in the middle of a wide, desolate plain. The soil was black and arid, and like those of the great cinder heaps that are seen near your ironworks, anything I can liken it to. I was amongst a few dilapidated, tumble-down little cottages that formed a sort of fringe between the unhappy city and the desolate plain. When my ears caught the sound of quarreling and shouting coming from one of them, and curiosity made me draw near to see what the dispute might be about, and even if here there may not be someone whom I could help. So again, this shows you he's going through cities, he's going, I mean, the lower zone's organized, right? It, it, it's typical people organize themselves because of their preconceived ideas. I'll carry on. It was little more than, it was more like a barn than a house. A great rough table ran the length of the room and rounded upon coarse little wooden stools were seated about a dozen or so men, such men. It's almost an insult to manhood to give them that name. They're more like orangutans with the varieties of pigs and wolves and birds of prey expressed in their coarse, bloated, distorted features. Such faces, such misshapen bodies, such distorted limbs. I can in no way describe them. And of course, this has been the same thing you've read in other books by Andre Louise, uh, psychographed by Xavier, other spiritist mediums. These people look on the outside what they feel on the inside. And this, therefore, to them, they may look, they still look kind of strange, but they look more normal. But to a spirit, they're actually seeing what their spiritual, what their spiritual quotient really is. They were clothed in various grotesque and ragged semblance of their former earthly finery, some in the fashion of centuries ago, if they've been there a long time. 
Others in more modern garb, yet all ragged, dirty, and unkempt. The hair disheveled, the eyes wild, and the staring and glowing now with the fierce light of passion, now with the sullen fire of despair and vindictive malice. To me, then, it seemed that I had reached the lowest pit of hell. But since I have seen a region lower still, far blacker, far more horrible, inhabited by beings so much fiercer, so much lower, that besides them they were tame and human. Later on, I shall describe more fully these lowest beings. When I come to that part of my wanderings, it took me into their kingdoms, into the lowest hell. But the spirits whom I now saw fighting in this college were quirling over a bag of coins that lay on the table. It had been found by one of them and then given to be gambled for by the whole party. The dispute seemed to be because each wanted to take possession of it himself without regard to the rights of anyone else at all. Well, this is, this is, well, they're all alike, right? It was simply a question of the strongest, and already they were menacing each other in a violent fashion. The finder of the money, or rather the spiritual counterpart of our earthly money, was a young man under 30, I should say, who still possessed the remains of good looks, and but for the marks that dissipation had planted on his face, would have seen unfit for the present surroundings and degraded associates. He was arguing that the money was his, and though he had given it to be played for fairly, he objected it to be robbed of it by anyone. I felt I had no business there, and amidst a wild chorus of indignant cries and protestations that they supposed they were as able to say what was honest as he was. I turned and left him. I had proceeded but a short way and was almost opposite another deserted little hovel when the whole wild crew came struggling and fighting out of the, co the cottage, wrestling with each other to get near the young man with a bag of money, whom the foremost of them was beating and kicking and trying to deprive of it. This this one of them succeeded in doing, whereupon they all set upon him when the young man broke away from them and began running towards me. In a moment, there was a wild yell all set up to catch him and beat him for an imposter and a cheat, thus the bag was empty of gold and had only stones in it. The money, like the fairy gold in the stories, having turned not into withered leaves, but into hard stones. Again, you see this all the time. Uh, other ones have said that they've been in these cities where, you know, where they, you know, people have a store to sell things and people would buy them and they take them home and then they disappear and they get back on the shelves of the store because it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it's this fake, you know, world that they live in and, you know, they, they don't understand the power of their own minds and that, that object was created by the owner of the store. So when someone took it and, and didn't have the power enough to know that, think about that, it would disappear and, and re reappear back at the store. And so, you know, people are trying to have normal lives with other people like them. It's not easy. Almost before I realized that the wretched young man was clutching hold of me and crying out to me to save him from these devils, and the whole lot were coming down upon us in hot pursuit of their victim. Quick as I thought, I sprang into the empty ho hovel, which gave us the only hope of asylum, dragging the unfortunate young man with me and slamming the door. I planted my back against it to keep the pursuers out. My goodness, how did they yell and stamp and storm and try to batter in that door, and how I did brace myself and exert all the force of mind and body to keep them out. I did not know it then, but I know now that unseen powers helped me and held fast that door till baffled and angry they could not move it they went off at last to seek for some fresh quarrel or excitement elsewhere so that is the end of chapter six 
Now, next week we'll have chapter seven, must be Raul, who looks like we'll get into that um, next Tuesday. So I want to, um, it, you know, first I want to thank everyone for being here. And then also, again, remind you to subscribe, hit the bell. And if you're interested in heaven in the spirit world, I have a series of three books. Heaven and Below is the first book that talks about heaven, the lower zone, talks the dark abyss, which is like a type of purgatory, and talks about Jesus in the, in the spirit world. And then my second book is all about spirits, is all is about spirits ourselves, our spirits, our spirits attributes, how we uh, grow as spirits, how we're educated as spirits, Spirits and Spirit Universe is book two. So these three books will, should give you a really good survey of the spirit world, of heaven, the, the spirit universe, uh, how our physical universe is a subset of the spirit universe. The spirits, what are, what is the spirit? What are you? What are your attributes? What, what is your potential? How do you rise in heaven? How, do, how are spirits educated? And then how we are guided by spirits, book three is how each of us has a guardian angel. Even in the spirit world, we have a guardian angel. How whole countries, institutions are guided by spirits. And then also, what is the future of Earth? Even right now, many exciting things are happening. We are going through a, just a very interesting time period because we are we are beginning to be to leave a, from a planet of atonement where we are incarnated on Earth to pay for our past wrongs to become a planet of regeneration. Now, how long that process takes? I, I do not know, but the process is starting. It may take a hundred years, it may take a thousand years, but it is, it is starting. And those who, like these people, are, as Francesco describes, who refuse to listen, refuse to, to, to become less selfish and, and more, you know, they, they need to want to become benevolent and loving and charitable, they will not be on Earth. They will be on another planet. At probably another planet of atonement somewhere else in the physical universe next time. So these are things that you can certainly read and understand about that. If you are new to spiritism, I have a book on my site, nwspiritism.com. This is in PDF. It's free. Of course, you can also buy it in Kindle uh, or paperback. I also have it on audio if that's what you want instead, but it's also free in PDF is also someone wonderfully translated for me in French in PDF. So you can just go to my site, nwspiritism.com. This is a good short book, less than 100 pages, I think, uh, about spiritism. It kind of tells you about it, what the central tenets of it are. So anyway, I want to thank everyone for being with me today. And, you know, please, you know, spread spiritism as you can. Show people, you know, you know, share this video, and if you and if you want to go to the headwaters of the of spiritism, how it started, it was codified by Allan Kardec. Jesus promised us Allan Kardec in the New Testament. He says, "I'm going to send you a consoler, the Spirit of Truth," and they call Allan Kardec the codifier because the Spirit of Truth organized all the spirits. Allan Kardec just sent a series of a thousand nineteen questions that were answered by multiple mediums throughout the regions of France and uh, Paris. Sorry and other parts of Europe, and then he codified these answers. So it's a very good book. You can get that on PDF. I also have it, this book on my YouTube channel, the playlist, the Spirits book, and I read every chapter in this book. So again, if you like, if you like the kind of the audio version, 
I also have it downloadable on my website. You can download it on MP3 or uh, I forgot the other format, kind of more like an audiobook format. You can, you know, I had to split it into because it's huge, but you can also listen to it audible. So anyway, there's many ways that you can understand your world, understand why you're going through the trials and understand how you can improve yourself. Because once you understand all this, your life becomes less stressful. Because then you see these little trials and tribulations and these little dramas you have with other people. They're not that important. You're immortal. You can't die. I got news for you. And you can never lose hope because there's always another opportunity. There, remember that. And please think about things, love other people, cherish other people, respect other people. God bless.